I went to a, a two July 4th parties yesterday. And for those who don't know, July 4th is the day we here in uh, America, as we like to say, celebrate the independence of uh, the United States of America from, uh, I don't know what it was back then, the King of Britain. <laughs> well, I don't know what the official yeah. title was. I, uh, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the Commonwealth. <laughs> and uh, anyways, uh, you know, reflecting on it now, I, I didn't eat any hot dogs, which I might have to mm. remedy that. I've got some of those uh, Costco free-range bison dogs down there in the deli drawer of the fridge. Maybe we'll have hot dogs tonight. But I did uh, I did go to a pool party. And if, if you were in Austin, you know that yesterday it rained all day. So it was wow. an unsuccessful pool party. But... Connected to that, the people I went to, there's some people we know in the neighborhood. They are, they're, they're wine connoisseurs. And uh, the last wine that they served us is, uh, it was called something like, a, it was some Greek wine called like a Vin, Vincento or Vincente. And it was made out mm-hmm. of uh, raisins. Vincento. Oh. Made out of, and it was like a dessert wine. And man, it was, it was, uh, it was one of those things where, like, you couldn't really tell if it was awesome or weird or all of the above, but it tasted just like <laughs> just like raisins. It's I, here it is. That I, sounds foul. It's called a vincero, vincero. There you go. Yeah, but man, I think I could have drank a whole bottle of that. It was just like it was good. <laughs> it would especially go good if you had some pecans to have with it, maybe. But or, 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 <laughs> or, or some raisin brand. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm confused. I actually want to maybe have to YouTube this later. Like, what is? How do they make it? Because right, normally wine is right made from the grape, right? And then they smash uh-huh. up all the grapes. Uh-huh. So the raisin? Do they just? Is it the raisin already kind of dehydrated? Like, what's left? Like, what do you get when you just crush? Maybe, maybe rehydrate them. Yeah, mm. I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. I mean, like, it tasted really good. Like really good, like being sweet or yep. really oh, good. Oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, okay. it was sweet, but like, like, like raisins are sweet. Like it wasn't sweet, like you know, uh, like a cake or something. It was, it was. I don't know. It was, it was good, but I mean, I'm telling. I know I've said this three times. It tasted exactly like raisins. It was uncanny, and uh, I, yeah, I like that. So you should. Well, I think. I think it's called maybe the the the. Um, would that be called the? Vintner or something. Maybe the people who uh, sell it are Vin Vincino. I don't really see. Uh, uh, I guess it says straw wine is what that is. That doesn't sound right though. But uh, okay. man, man, it was tasty. And then, and then of course, I had uh, at the second party no hot dogs, which is fine because I, we I had some fajitas, which were good. Now I was over there at our friend uh, JP's house, and and he he commented on his fajita style was he just got the fajita meat and just put salt on it. No fajita seasoning, and it was it was delicious. I think the perfect amount. And then another another culinary discovery, and then I'll I'll be out with all of my updates here. Is uh, you can buy these like tiny tortillas that are maybe like a third the size of a regular tortilla, and he just had a stack of them there. And I thought maybe this is some sort of like uh, I mean you know them they're always up to some uh, some fancy food which I always appreciate. But I thought there was some sort of dish that you have with little tortillas, and he was just like no. They're just little tortillas. Like, that's, that's all there is to it. But you can imagine, it's, it's almost like if you made a quesadilla out of them, it would be like a silver dollar quesadilla. It was, it was man, and they were tasty. I think, I think they had the same amount of butter in the tiny tortilla as they have in a large tortilla, because it was uh, creamy and tasty. 
Well, that, that sounds delightful. I, I celebrated the 4th of July by going to iteration planning for a large bank and uh, uh, having a plumber come because we had a burst pipe uh-huh. and uh, going out to eat with my family because it was a Wednesday night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> way, to, way, to, way to dump tea into the harbor, Matt. Good job. That's right. That's right. Lack of meaning in uh, in Sydney for July Fourth. Not really the uh, yeah. same facts. How about but, yourself, but, Brandon? But, uh, what what uh, what what did you do on July Fourth? We just packed up the family, went down to Slitterbahn, spent the day in the water, mm. doing doing uh, mostly the lazy pool, lazy river. Oh pool, yeah. Whatever. Oh yeah. That's that's basically what we did. We don't. The rides get too crowded. And so it's just like, yeah, let's just go around this pool a million times. It's yeah, fun. very good. Yeah, I think I think I think the uh, the lazy river is like the uh, the Vegas buffet of water park attractions. It's just like you just you can't lose. You're just gonna be there all day long. It's great. Okay. I love there you that. Go. Yeah. Do, do do they do they have any accommodations like as you as you float by, you can get like a snack or a drink or something? Uh, not in the lazy river. You would have mm. to get out and go to the adult pool. Mm. I don't know. It's called that. It's just the pool with the swim up. Pleasure bars. Island. Yeah. It's not, it's not <laughs> even, that, it's not even that official. It's just like, there's a pool with a swim up bar. You have to just make an effort to go get into that one. Mm. Or there's several of them. So it's, uh, but I find like, if you just, I don't know, maybe my son is seven and almost eight and it's just like, he's got a whole day to kill. Just go to a water park. That's oh, like yeah. an eight year old boy. Yeah. It's just like, you just. Like the whole day goes by and there's like stuff to do and snacks and it's fun. And uh, I'm sure, I don't know, when water parks probably end at like 11 or so, you know, like as kids get older, you just got to rotate to something new. So Yeah. 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 Hottest, coolest time in Texas, as I recall. I've only been or there Or as like I like to call, closest water park that's easy to get to for me. Uh-huh. That's, <laughs> so, that's the, uh, the Brandon Magic point. Quadrant. <laughs> that's why you work oh. in marketing. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. What, what kind of what kind of sunscreen do you use on uh, on your kid? What do you do there? I have. Uh, we have mostly taken to. Uh, not that we don't use any sunscreen, but I have gone. I have personally gone to this long sleeve swim shirt. If you're going to be there all day, all outside all day, and I make my son. We just give him the choice. We say, you got to put on sunscreen, or you can wear the shirt. Right. Mm. And he just he he himself opts for like just wearing a shirt, and then we just uh, he has like a stick, one of those like uh, kind of sticks where you can just rub on uh, like facial sunscreen, and that seems to like work with no hassle. And then of course, like he's really for the most part only his face is getting sun, which is yeah. and as long as he keeps it on. So, uh, but I'm I've become I just think with kids like it's not. It's just so much easier. Like if they have the shirt on, you know, they're protected from the sun, right? It's just very easy. Whereas the sunscreen, even if you do it well in the morning and you got to keep reapplying. So yeah. I found that was worked really well. So I'd recommend that even if it's not super fashionable, but also my son, right? He doesn't really know any better. So he just like, he, he's a drone. So well, well that, that, we so, definitely, uh, we definitely do the shirt thing. It's just like, it's always difficult. My, my, uh, my son claims to be very sensitive to sunscreen. So we have to buy like the, uh, you know, the Neutrogena, like, it's not the hippie sunscreen, but it's sort of like, you know, they had some some Swiss scientists, hopefully not from Hydra, like, engineer the perfect sunscreen that's made out of, like, zinc or something. And it's, like, I don't know, $12 a bottle or something. Meanwhile, you know, you can just, like, buy some, like, banana boat nonsense for, like, 50 cents and just take a bath in it and, and then get protected. Yeah, it's, uh, it's free in Australia. Oh, they just have it on the beach, like uh, like sanitizer <laughs> yes. foam. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the beauty of, uh, of, you know, when the government pays for both ends of healthcare. Mm. <laughs> They're like, hey, we could save a lot of money on skin cancer by giving away sunscreen. And, and do, people, do people wear the, uh, the rash shirts, as I think they call them? Is that a big thing in Australia? Rashies. Yeah, Rashies. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. Of course, definitely. it's a rashy. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's still a lot of skin cancer and all that stuff, but but definitely people, um, you know, are very uh, aware of sunscreen, especially with the younger generations. Like uh, the policies at schools are they don't let the kids on the playgrounds if they don't have their hats. Whoa. So it's like, you know, and they, they even have a clever motto for it. No hat, no play. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, there must be some uh, some rhyming lost in the translation there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Sometimes they're just that literal. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to over there in uh, Amsterdam is no one wears a bicycle helmet, and I think uh, I think mm. they'll rescind your visa if you try to wear a bicycle helmet as a foreigner. So uh, that'll be fun. Yeah, but- they, they, they must have a great organ donor rate. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but and and then also related to Europe. Uh, it looks like our friends over at Suse. I don't know if I haven't, I met someone last week at, uh, was, was this last week when I was at DevOps days, Amsterdam, there was a, a community yeah. manager from Susa who was just there checking it out. Is it Susa or Suse or, uh, Suselheim or something? Had, had you Seuss. Seuss. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, Seuss. That's good. Anyways, uh, Susa or Suse. Anyways, it looks like some private equity firm bought them. I'm not really familiar with yeah, the name of it. They uh, uh, they got alleviated from um, from Microfocus. Mm, so, Microfocus. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see what uh, what was the name of that company that took it over? EQT. Because I was and uh, I was pretty shocked by the amount. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's two is it two point five billion? That was maybe I just haven't been paying attention. But that seemed quite significant for that company. Yeah, I, I have you know it, I don't know what their you know obviously they're not going to tell me what their um, their numbers look like, but obviously if they're spending that kind of money, there must be uh, uh, well, there there you go uh, sixteen one hundred sixty four million revenue thirteen thirteen point one percent growth sounds good right so they're they're making profit of fifty million a year that seems like a really big multiple. I think that independent uh, company they can do a lot better. Yeah, I thought the other interesting factoid in this uh, register article is just that Novell bought them for two hundred and ten million dollars back in two thousand three. So it's like, oh wow, like it's a company that's grown quite significantly that maybe had fallen off people's radar. It's fallen so, off my so, radar. So does that mean that they're another like pure open source billion dollar company? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think okay. Susi. I feel like they always sell a lot of other stuff outside of Linux. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, think, I, I mean, they, they, I know they, they were they, branded with different things, and then so I don't yeah. know. But your point, maybe if it's, I guess if it's just the Linux distribution, then yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, because because when they were, you know, when they were part of Novell um, and later part of Microfocus, you know, they they definitely tied into the, the, those products a lot, right? You know, we gotta gotta move some of the Tarantella, if you will. And, uh, but now as far as I know, they, they picked up what well, last year they picked up, um, HPE's OpenStack, and they picked up HPE's, uh, cloud foundry. Um, but that's, you know, that's open source. So maybe, maybe those are doing well for them. 
Yeah, I think I think you know I I used to cover them a little bit when I was at four five one, and and I think they have like one or two like closed source things, but only like like closed source in the the sense of like if you were some like little like you know smarty pants analyst and you're like oh but you have this closed source thing it was probably i think it was uh, just some sort of like support tool or you know one of the things well, that, yeah but i mean red hat has that yeah yeah well hold, well hold on isn't red hat a pure open source company i think <laughs> i think i think the like i mean if you want to call compiled code closed source i mean i don't know sure but i'm pretty no, sure no i like like you know the this the code maybe you know the code itself may be uh, open source but the distribution and the content on some of their like uh upgrade networks that is is closed right mm. so you can have the code but if you don't have their infrastructure it's useless closed that's community. that was my point that's right yeah. it's like the the floor plans are open but you better have the gate code <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly yeah that's well you know good. you know while we're i'm trying to i remember i remember the first time uh i was i was in orlando at uh i think it was a disney property i forget uh but anyways and uh they they actually gave me like some interesting numbers that i was able to put in a report of their growth and they they were kind of impressive like i think as i remember susay they uh they basically they had notably improved their revenue uh once attachmate just well once they were at the attachmate group and novell stopped messing with them at least was the uh the story that i got oh here we go it says when when was this uh between financial year 2012 and 2013 uh they grew to more than 230 million in revenue which uh i there think that's goes. 20% growth or something and uh, they said north american sales back then had risen 35% year over year now i was i was showing off cuz i put just y over y instead of year over year you know y slash y well yeah that's what you can that, do that starts to make the and 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 knowing the kind of the, the business models of, of SUSE and and uh, Red Hat, you know, a multiplier of ten x from five years ago doesn't sound that bad. Mm-hmm. I did yeah. I did a little uh, I did a little uh, back of the envelope math in, in Spotlight, Uh-oh. and and it looks like it looks like SUSE equals by valuation equals nine point five Red Hats. Uh, the, the, the other way around. It, it, it would take. Suse is is what's the opposite of nine point five? Red Hat is nine point five. One night. Yeah, there you go. Went over nine point five. Now, now, do you think do you think that this sort of sizing and valuation is we could use uh, we could use it to look at like canonical? Do you think it's similar? or Do you think their business model? is totally different and and you wouldn't have a similar i mean let's let me just say based on those numbers that i went over let's just i'll just go crazy here like let's say susay's revenue is 300 million whatever okay right like i mean maybe it's 350 or whatever but it's uh it's it's in the uh it's in the range that you could almost legitimately say under 500 million which is sure. you know one, one of those ranges but what do you think you think canonical is kind of in this this same area uh- yeah, I mean, they. You, you got to think that um, Canonical hasn't seemed to have done as well um, uh, capitalizing on their mindshare, mm. right? I mean, like anecdotally, uh, there's a ton of Ubuntu everywhere in the cloud, but I very, very, very rarely come across Canonical customers. Right. I mean, I, I probably come across just as many SUSE customers, and that's not very many either. Mm-hmm. Right. And almost everybody in the enterprise that I see 
and granted, this is APEC, uh, is running RHEL or CentOS, right? I mean, I see just as much Oracle Linux as SUSE. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, Oracle Linux. Well, that's a whole. Hey, yeah. That's a whole. I mean, they're they're willing to just undercut Red Hat on the same product, so yeah. Now, now I have two two follow up questions here. Well, one of them is a comment. One, if if you are out there, like so many people, and you're like, I would really like to tell you how to pronounce the name of this company, you should go to <laughs> softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack and join our Slack channel, and uh, you could make a recording of yourself saying it, and then and then uh, maybe I'll put it at the end. Maybe you should send it. Everyone should send in some recordings. And we'll put it at the end of the next episode, maybe. Oh, oh, Kote, Kote. Then. It's on. I, I just uh, I wrote Susa, and and hit P, and it auto completed to pronunciation. Oh, nice. <laughs> and and there are literally YouTube videos and uh, you know questions and FAQs and wow. Um, here we go. Susa pronounced Susa comes from the German acronym Software und Systemwicklung. Um, there are, uh, it looks like it's Susa. I like how perfect. in the effort to pronounce it, we were mispronouncing other words in German. That's perfect. <laughs> that's, that's all you need to know about our rigorous research. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's probably true. We're, we're very, very good. Very good at that. Uh, I do think though on the, uh, on the Susa product catalog which is always interesting to kind of just take a look because there's probably like what it's known for but then they do have quite a bit of sap kind of like sap solutions and they even have some point of sale packages um as well which is often a place to find if you're like if you see a company that you kind of know of but you don't you're like wow that's more money than i thought and you kind of go dig in and you find like vertical stuff like this sometimes that's a clue that like you could see if they're bundling a lot of sap or if i'm you know just doing my SAP and I want to do what's the safest, maybe I just go with uh, SUSE. And oh, same yeah. thing with yeah. uh, on the retail, like if I'm uh, running a bunch of point of sale terminals, the fact that this is open source or Linux or whatever has, they don't, nobody cares about that. It's just like, how do I keep these terminals up and running and make sure my uh, uh, cashiers and stuff can process payments. So I don't know, that may just be a clue that there's some kind of cash cow inside well, of all of this. Yeah, I, th- I think you, you actually... You know, reminded me what the cash cow is. It's SAP. That the SUSE is the 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 supported OS for it. Yeah, so so that would <laughs> so, make sense, right? It'd be a solved. good, yeah, it'd be like a good, uh, and obviously the the German heritage, right? In some way, I'm sure uh, yes. makes that go together. But that would be that would make a lot of. You could see why many people who pick SAP, right, are going to use that decision to dictate the Linux, right? They're going to, yeah, if SUSE is the supported thing to do SAP, then. I would assume that carries a lot of weight for buying a bunch of licenses. Whereas, you know, back to your question about Canonical, which I know a lot less about, is just, you know, maybe they don't have quite that drag for some kind of like big major enterprise player. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, uh, now, oh, I don't want to insult you, Brandon, by asking Matt this, but, you know, so no, no <laughs> insult implied. But now, Marais, tell us again sure. why Canonical, why Ubuntu is like the preferred choice. For Linux operating systems, how did how did how did that come about? Uh, you, you, I think we're going on three episodes in a row now with uh, your friend Simon Wardley. Hey, <laughs> hey, I know. Um, you know, years back uh, when the cloud was the new hotness, um, you know, when uh, EC2 got their 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 uh, their start, um, you know, people used to try to roll their own AMIs, and Canonical decided that. Uh, 
you know, this was going to be the thing and started making officially supported uh, AMIs available on Amazon and then, you know, later other cloud vendors. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, they just put in the engineering effort to make sure that it was always uh, available and up to date and kind of by default, everyone used that because, you know, rolling your own AMIs or using, you know, something else was a little more painful. Um, and Red Hat, you know, wanted to charge, you know, full licensing fees or they wouldn't let, you know, they didn't have official images available and, you know, getting a high quality uh, supported OS for free. You know, there, there was also, that was, that was probably, you know, everybody loves free. Uh, there was no premium. You know, we, even when Red Hat finally got an image, it was, you know, the same price as like, you know, Windows. Uh, by by the hour, so you were paying twice as much for essentially, you know, a Linux OS that is a pretty known quantity. Um, so yeah, I mean, a, a Canonical made a very, uh, you know, very strong strategic play to make this available. And you know, Amazon, as far as I understood, never gave them much in return. You know, other than just like, well, well here's the list of supported OSs. You know, one. <laughs> So it was basically right, but, uh, a, a high quality free Linux distro to use, and and then definitely, was definitely. Used. yeah. Now, uh, yeah, well, that that makes sense. You, you have a, but it's so, kind of a that's a really interesting kind of like case study in the you know business world. Just like compare and contrast to say Canonical. It's like when SA when they bundled it with SAP, SAP is sort of you know incented to get people to pay for stuff, right? So you know, hence like you know, it's making money, and then maybe Canonical just a different situation, right? Amazon just, you know, to your point, it's maybe indifferent or just, you know, okay with it. And so, so that maybe explains the popularity, but maybe not, it's not as much money, which is, I don't know, always interesting questions is like, when you think about this like on a whiteboard, I'm sure it was like a lot more exciting to go with Amazon, but obviously being profitable, SAP brings a whole different situation to the, to the table. So I don't know, interesting decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then now I think, uh, uh, you know, the, this last week, Amazon announced that they're doing LTS support for their own Linux now, right? So that's uh, right. Which that's going to be the new wrinkle. Which, of course, always brings us back to the everything store. If you want to know what Amazon <laughs> has done, just read the book. Get your pull your partner close, and then replicate whatever it is that they do. So that's right, the, the Amazon hug, hug of death. Well, I've looked through my notes about Suse. And uh, I found my uh, a, a note dated November twenty first, two thousand thirteen, where I think it was at SuseCon, and they said they said in a keynote, I think that uh, to, to the SAP point, seventy percent of all SAP applications running on Linux run on SuSE Linux Enterprise Server. So there you go. They got you know if you're not running on uh, like Z or AS four hundred or Windows or something. Uh, there's a high chance you're running on SUSE for your your ERP applications that are not Oracle or in in the cloud. I wonder if they use it in their their cloud thing there. Probably. Who, who knows? Who knows? Uh, yeah, man. It, how how far back do you think you could find your notes? Do they go all the way back to uh, 2009? I know that's a thrilling topic. No, but I will. I don't know about that, but I uh, was doing some maintenance on my my home Mac, and uh, I just 
have found, I don't know what everyone else is like, especially as I've migrated from Windows machines to Mac machines, like I just take like the documents and I just throw them in a directory. So I was going back through like some, some computers I had in like the late nineties and it's, uh, for some reason I'm unwilling to delete those documents, but I, I have no idea what's in them nor what I, mm. never, I don't even know why. I don't even know what I would search for, uh, to, uh, find something in there, but somehow it's, it's interesting. Uh, certainly, you know, I guess our generation maybe is the first to do it, but certainly future generations how you create these digital archives of just like everything from your college papers to like random work things to notes. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. And then I'm sure I, I guess at some point it just will all get lost in some backup at some point and just be completely unreadable. But uh, but I have a lot of that stuff. Well, you know, I, I, I am always thinking of that when, when my, uh, when my heirs bequeath my, uh, uh, my legacy of letters to the Harry Ransom Center to be interned for, uh, <laughs> the access to your, for to your one note <laughs> for future generations to study. I mean, I just, well, there's just be piles of stuff. They'll have to, they'll have to print it out maybe and handle it with white gloves. It'll be great. Well, you seem like someone who's thought a lot about this for photos. I was talking to my wife the other day, just, I was like, you know, at one point, like, I really think at some point we're just going to need to like get one of those printed book of pictures just so like we have something that I think would actually make it to like when my son is older, you know, one day has a family. It's just like, I don't know how we will make sure that he has any pictures like that actually survived all the digital, uh, various digital upgrades and stuff like that. Other than like literally printing them out like mm. old school in a book, just that way it's like here, at least we'll have some pictures going forward because like all the Instagram Flickr, it's like, it just comes and goes or just like this, I don't know. I have photos like all over. Like Apple seems to be the worst of all of it. Like I just have Apple photos everywhere. I don't Ugh. know. I can't even. Yeah. I gave up trying to to catalog that. So it was funny to me that in the end, the only safe thing to do may simply be to pre to print a book of photos. Yeah. Or just yeah. or just copying I mean, that one hard drive. Oh yeah, it, yeah. Apple <laughs> photos. That's a topic not to get near. That's that's very distressing. It's very upsetting. That that uh, that topic. Uh. Well, uh, let's see. Also, also uh, now, 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 uh, there was big to do about this, as they say, Intel veteran leaving Google Cloud. What, uh, what's the deal with that? I didn't really read that story. I think the only thing there was their uh, speculation is that she is in line to become the next Intel CEO. Oh, so, uh, he, uh, he abruptly resigned, and there seems to be like a lot of back and forth there. Had like. Uh, some kind of inappropriate relationship years ago, but then there was a lot of talk that maybe this was just a good reason to get him out. But nonetheless, it looks like she is uh, potentially in line to get that job. So, but I don't know if that means you have to, you know, I mean, it could mean like she already has the job and they're just kind of setting it up like she'll depart, like summer break will be over and then like in September it'll all be announced or maybe, you know, maybe it just, mm. um, it was, you know, something didn't go well. But I think, you know, as, as everybody in the cloud, like everyone wants to like jump on these things. And, you know, I think there's like in the press, right, wants to be like, well, this is indicative of something happening at Google Cloud. But in this case, it seems more indicative of just like she's probably going to get a bigger job at Intel. Uh, it's my guess. But, you know, who knows? Well, and, and both of those are going to be challenging roles. I mean, you know, Google is, uh, you know, trying to fight their way up to number two and, uh Intel is, you know, trying to maintain the the Chipzilla empire, but you know they they're seeing a lot of uh, pushback in in mobile, which seems to be where the real growth is, right? Yeah, no, it seems it, 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 that's an interesting question. Like, which 
jab would you rather have it it feels like the intel thing just the movement to arm right that that seems like it's going to happen regardless of what anyone does um that seems like quite the challenging that seems like the most challenging job there of the two so, yeah well, also, you know, defending the empire versus, you know, being the the uh, <laughs> the, the rangy upstart of being Google Cloud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it does. It does seem like you're right. It's sort of like, do you want to be the the up and comer, or do you want to be the uh, defending? And that yep. yeah, defending seems very tough in that situation. Uh, but it'd be interesting. I don't know. Like, there were people who are very hard on that Intel CEO, um, and then of course there was all this talk about they all their you know their chips have been delayed for various reasons and then they had the security uh flaw but you know this is back to like you know my favorite topic like you know the halo effect like i don't think i don't think he personally you know necessarily was responsible for those things so the fact that that's kind of lumped into him you know sort of like bad timing yeah. it was just bad timing to be the ceo of intel the buck has to stop somewhere right yeah no and, hey that's yeah, that, he, i'm sure and he got paid a lot of money but it is like it's just like I don't know. Just when everyone, it's like, oh, now that he's gone, all these issues are going to be uh, fixed. It's like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, like this movement to arm, right, is like well yep. underway. So yeah, you're gonna have to come in with some pretty, pretty different thinking to do something different. Now, I, I haven't followed Intel, or as Matt Ray likes to say, Chipzilla, and I think the register as well, <laughs> and, and in a long time. But like, what, what? So, so they're moving to arm. What's the deal with them? What's the little, uh, what's the little well, thirty think, second no, update? They're not. Yeah, I think the 30-second update is that, you know, they've been defending x86 territory for a long time, but they have had, you know, and for a long time, their strength has been vertical integration. That is, they will design the chip and manufacture the chip, right? So that gave them mm. this advantage for a long period of time. But they've had a lot of uh, difficulty, and I can't remember if it, I think it's like, it's all a nanometer, right? It's like going from to the, the smallest, basically, set of chips, like getting their manufacturing in order to support it, right? They've had a lot of difficulty in doing that. And that's what's delayed some of their chips, which has actually allowed them to fall back, right? So this is like when everyone complains about the Mac, the Mac's not being updated. Part of that seems to be that they were, Apple was assuming Intel would come out with some new chips that were basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really would jump way ahead in speed. But that, because of the manufacturing delays, because of, of these issues, none of that has happened. So now, you know, now Apple is kind of sitting there, right? Like our computers are getting slow and, you know, we thought we were going to get these better chips. So what do they do? Do they just take the old chips and put them in there? And then, and then, and then to Intel's point, it's like, you know, the idea that they used to just be able to get better and better at this manufacturing, it's sort of, it's not working as much, right? So they got to come in and like implement chips with more cores, which is kind of different. Happening, right? The world has moved to, processors that are, you know, ARM, right, that are basically don't uh, take as much power. And then, of course, Apple has its own division that does that. And then those guys, like, just take the the chip designs and go to, you know, TSMC, right, and just say, hey, can you manufacture this? And they do it, right? So in this case, the fact that they're not vertically integrated has worked out well, right? They just sort of, like, take the chips and they're getting faster and faster. So now, right now, unless there's some kind of big change, right, in design, it seems like the ARM chips are getting just as fast with less power, and you know what was once this dominant Windows x86 position is sort of eroded. Well, well, the, the ARM is eating up the bottom. You know, the, uh, Intel, you know, with their Xeons and and those things, still own all of the the data centers and you know all that stuff. Like ARM has gotten beaten back a few times trying to go into the data center play, where 
I think uh, Qualcomm said that they were going to do it, and then they backed off. And you know, we had uh, your you know Calzada a few years back. You know, that was going to be their play, and they went under. So you know, ARM still hasn't gone taken the top, but if you can take all the volume out of the market and just you know, it's kind of like mainframes. You know, nobody nobody disagrees that uh, you know mainframes are kind of awesome, but uh, the real money is in volume. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. And I think that's just, it seems to be like the trajectory seems to be that like the ARM chips will get good enough, right, to take that down. And then if you couple that with Intel and having all these missteps, it would be different, right? I think if Intel was like consistently producing chips at the highest end that were dominant, you know, and, and just getting better and better. And that seems, yeah. to, and so so I guess if, if we were to make the, the pro case for this Intel job, it's like maybe she's taking, or whoever takes it, I don't know if she's getting it, but if you take the job and you're like, yeah, we're going to get these manufacturing issues figured out and the next set of designs are truly going to deliver some um, competitive you know, differentiation, then it would probably be a good time to take that job over. Well, it and, seems and, like it's been hard. Yeah. And, and, and uh, also in, you know, under uh, you know, the last guy's watch, <laughs> things we can blame on him is, is AMD has become resurgent and actually had, um, you know, kind of like when... Um, you know, X, uh, when the 64-bit stuff launched, you know, Intel had a head start, but AMD got to define, you know, the standard uh, because they had better 64-bit chips, even, the, you know, and eventually Intel recovered. But here we are again, supposedly, I'm, you know, I'm not, this is not, uh, I'm out of my expertise a, a bit, but AMD has better high-end chips, just they don't have the lock-ins with your Dells and HPEs right. and, and the like, right? So it, you know, yeah, AMD is really competitive again. Yeah, and I think you can couple that, you know, I guess, again, under the, I guess, previous watch, you can say the same thing around uh, NVIDIA, right, has yep. had a mammoth growth in, in the world of GPUs, an area that Intel, you know, you would have thought they would have been, could have been strong at, right? Yeah. And um, they were way behind on that. And then I think the same thing with uh, all these modems, right? They were, well, uh, Intel yeah, was yeah. making a play for modems, but then Qualcomm. So I guess, you know, that, I guess as we... <laughs> As we say, maybe it's a halo effect. Maybe he was just bad at his job. There are a lot of fronts, <laughs> there are just a lot of fronts going there, right? If you miss the modems, yeah. you miss the GPUs, you kind of seeded your high-end server business, and it's like all of that together, uh, you're not going to have that job for very long. Well, well, listen, I have right. a lot. And, I, and, I have a lot of meta questions about this Intel stuff, but bef- but so let's uh-oh. let's put a pin in that. But before we get to that, I think there's two things we want to tell people about. One, Brandon, why don't you tell them about uh, next week? Our, uh, our meetup. Yes. We are going to have a uh, little drinks and socializing at the first software defined talk. Happy Air is going to be here in Austin, Texas, July 11th at 530. It's on uh, Docs Motor Works down on 38th for those of you who are local. So there's a invitation, uh, Eventbrite. You can just register. Everything's free. It'll just be a group of us hanging out. Hopefully it'd be great to meet many of you in person. I'm sure we'll give out stickers. I'm sure we'll talk about frequent flyer programs. I'm sure we will talk about Kubernetes and many other things. So I think, I think we've got a good group registered. So if you're interested, please come by. Again, July 11th, 5.30, hit the show notes, and you can register and get all the details and add it to your calendar. It'll be a lot of fun. Also next week, if you're in Minneapolis, there's uh, DevOps Days Minneapolis. And uh, you know this, this is probably the last time you'll hear us talking about it because it's next week. Uh, as I say, uh, July 12th and 13th up in um, Minneapolis. 
And, uh, you know, it's a very good DevOps days. I haven't seen the agenda quite yet. I could probably go look at it, but I'm sure it's fantastic. There's a lot of care and feeding, maybe not feeding, but metaphorically so, being put into it. And if you want to go there, it's already cheap from the get-go, but you can use the uh, the code SDT2018 to get 20% off. And if you just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 140, you can find that code. But but it should be a good event. So there you got you got two things you can do next week. And I think uh, I should go look this up. But one of my friends from Pivotal uh, that I do a, the other the Pivotal Conversations podcast with, I think he might be here next week, or maybe it's the twenty first, talking about .NET and uh, cloud native stuff. I know uh, I know all you software defined talk listener fans, big big deep into the .NET. So uh, you probably might want to check that out. Oh yeah. All right. So here here's my Intel questions. One. This is the first question. How? Okay, wait. Let me ask. Let me ask the closed question. Then we'll go to the open. So, this is the second question, which is now the first question is like, I don't know anything about chips. That's not my thing. I don't follow chips. I barely know about hardware. But so, is it basically like uh, just a price performance thing, and then and then also like channel access? Is that like the entire business? Like, if you were to get, I don't know if Michael Porter's still alive, but if you get Michael Porter to come in and make one of his big cheese wedges a strategy. Is it just basically, uh, I, I guess you manufacture the things, so you got a high barrier to entry of chips, and then you've got your buyers. you got a very yeah. limited amount of buyers. And I, I forget the five forces of, of doodads of strategy when you have limited buyers. I mean, logically, that means that um, uh, your price is very important because you got like five buyers, and they'll be like, hey, how about I'm not going to pay a lot for that chip, and you don't have <laughs> options. And but then of course uh, the whole point of a chip is like uh, you know to do your math faster and shit like that and and so I guess there's a certain amount of innovation that comes with it but but pretty much you're like here next year Intel what I would like is faster for less money and I mean is that kind of like <laughs> the the whole business or is there anything else going on there? Uh, there, there there's definitely some other factors at work right yeah, um. Intel was kind of famous for introducing, um, I, I probably under the last guy, I don't know how long he was there, but under Andy Grove, let's say, um, this, they called it TikTok, where um, every 24 months they released a new architecture or, you know, a, a revision of the architecture. And then uh, every offset of that, every 24 months, uh, was a corresponding um, efficiency improvement of the current generation. Mm. That's like right. how so the iPhones put up, work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of. It would be, I mean, yeah. So, so what are we on? We're like the 10 X, yeah. right? So, so, you know, the 10 X is out now and then they'd come out with like, you know, Oh, it's the 10 X I it's, you know, the exact same chip as last year, but it's on a yeah. smaller die. So it's more cost, you know, it's more power efficient yeah. and, you know, but it's not faster. I mean, to put, or, to, know, put it, it, to put it another way, in the school cafeteria, Tuesday, everyone's favorite day, hamburgers and pizza. Mysteriously on Thursday, meatloaf. How did that happen? <laughs> and, and, then, and then next Tuesday, you're back to hamburgers and pizza. <laughs> right, right. So they had this, this TikTok, and, and it was kind of like this is how, you know, when they talked about Moore's Law, it was like, well, you know that every two years – uh, Intel is going to have a new revision that's going to be better than the last two years, and mm. you know, and every you know, and you know, the year after that release, they will have a refinement of that, and it went like you know, 
like boom, 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 just year after year, and they seemed kind of unstoppable. Meanwhile, um, you know, externally you had you know AMD floundering a bit. Uh, you had you know the the mobile space. Intel wasn't very interested in it, and rather than manufacture uh, you know their own chips, um, what what happened in, in in the mobile space is you had uh, TSMC and Taiwan Semiconductor, whatever, you know, TSMC stands for, um, they became the outsourcer of everyone's chip manufacturing, right? And so they just became like, all we're going to do is manufacture any chips you have. And ARM became a a licensing group where you, you know, license the ARM design, you can build whatever you want with it, you contribute back what you want to it, and they will, you know, continue to pump those out as fast as they can. And so um, ARM is, you know, they don't own any of their own fab, which means, you know, uh, Apple doesn't do any of their own fabbing and and other, you know, uh, mm-hmm. TI and, and other uh, ARM builders, you know, they don't do any of their own fabbing. It all goes through TSMC. And so TSMC caught up with Intel and are now faster, you know, at making new big, you know, investments in semiconductor fab. And so Intel's kind of left as like one of the few companies that still does their own fab, um, which is expensive. You know, that's high, high capital to, you know, and, and takes years to build those things. And then uh, because you have so much innovation happening in the ARM space, all these other companies are working together to make ARM faster, cheaper, more power efficient. And Intel mm. is like, well, we're just going to, you know, we're fighting. It's, it's kind of like, Kind of like Solaris and Linux, right? You know, Solaris was better, but there was only one company behind it. And Linux had a lot of people contributing to it and, you know, collaborating out in the open and, you know, fast, cheap and out of control eventually beat, you know, beat uh, uh, Solaris. So, so is it, is it, is it um, so that's, proper? That's my analogy. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it proper to think of the, the chip business as, as like kind of a weird commodity situation where there's like yeah. only like maybe four sellers and yet it is a commodity like i mean it's weird to think of a commodity right. market as having a limited amount of sellers but it's basically just like uh despite i mean i guess this was the the brilliance of the whole intel inside thing is they were trying to convince you and maybe at the time maybe this is true but but they were trying to convince you that actually uh it was very important what chip you had in there when actually it didn't matter at all what chip you had in there which is the essence of commodity right like you know what right. whatever combination of like lavender and some sort of rinded fat that i use as soap like doesn't really matter but you put some nice packaging on it and and you know some story about how it keeps my hands soft and suddenly that's the one i got to use but <laughs> But it seems it seems like especially if especially if if you divide the the manufacturing or fabrication or fabbing as you say of chips into its own sort of uh, component and then there's a whole other layer that you have where you can design the many different people can design chips and so the the ability to design a chip isn't and get it to market isn't constrained by the high capital costs of creating it suddenly right. you have this environment that's I don't know, analogous to like, um, like the reason there's all this ridiculous swag at conferences. Cause you can just sort of like come up with an idea and have someone, some outsourced manufacturer make like 20,000 of them or something, right? Like mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. really easy just to come up with a bunch of new things. Whereas if in fact, the, the, the disadvantage of a vertically integrated business like Intel is like, I guess they have limited resources to come up with 
new things. So they kind of only do a limited set of things and they're, they're constrained by that. And then, and then as you say, when your competition low market as they may be, can, it's not even an innovator's dilemma thing. I mean, I guess it kind of comes from that disruption, but eventually they're at parity and they can just do the same. They can satisfy the same hunger that you do, but cheaper. And then it's, and then it's back to what I was saying. It's just like shit's faster and it's cheaper. Why are you going to buy from that guy over there? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there's some analogies in there to like, you know, um, Apple and Android, Mm. right. You know, there's a lot more volume in Android, but Apple owns a lot of the profit. Right. And, you know, but the companies that use Android, um, for some of them are trying to make money being chip companies, but some of them are like, you know what, Android isn't where we make our money. We make it on other stuff. Like Apple doesn't think of themselves as a chip company. Mm-hmm. They just need the best chips for their user experience. Right. Okay. Right. So now here's, here's my second question. Now, now, Brandon, you are the one who impressed me with this initially. Listeners may have noticed that I was quiet for a long time, which is very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> but but like how how is it that you have made the maintained the interest in the chip market to be able to talk so long about Intel like what I and I asked I have like zero interest in chips it just like every now and then I come across like a Timothy Prickett Morgan piece on chips and I'm just like I I don't to use one of now my favorite phrases I don't know if this is in English or not like I I just can't read it but you two are just like you're all over this shit, like so you're really into chips. So how how does that come about? Do you have to like work on that every day, like look at yourself in the mirror and like <laughs> build up excitement about chips, or does it just come naturally? No, I well I think it's just you know interest, right? Like uh, I don't know Matt Race, I know he has a master's degree, but I have a degree, I mean that's been a long time, but I actually got a degree in computer engineering, so it's it was just interesting in college. Oh, to, I like, see. You know, you go you start kind of like at the Silicon, right? Like at the, and you just work your way up right all the way through the software. So I'm just sort of interested in it in general. And you know, what is kind of interesting, I think for, you know, maybe our generation is like, you know, for so long as Matt kind of alluded to, it was this Moore's law thing, but you know, now they're getting, I guess it's like 10 nanometer and then they're going to try to go to, I think to eight nanometer next. It's like, you're kind of seeing the end of it. And this is why everyone talks about cores, right? Like can't really make the chips smaller and faster like you used to. Um, so this is why, you know, you end up like, you know, four cores, eight cores, whatever, 32 cores. And so that, that part I think is just, I think it's just interesting from a a technological standpoint in general, right? Like this is where computing is going, right? It's like, it's going to be more cores and what's the next thing. And I think the next thing is we were hitting on is that, you know, I, I would say, you know, putting aside this last CEO, it's just like, they just had a great 20 year run, right? It's probably started with the branding of the intel inside and the pentium chip right i think that's still like one of the best marketing campaigns often referenced in technology it's just like now you're just seeing kind of the end of it right they got 20 good years out of it they made a tremendous amount of money along with microsoft and then just like we talk about all the time about business strategy now they're at a crossroads where this vertical integration is really being is their hindrance now the fact that they manufacture and design the chips and they, they're not doing either part well. That when you know when neither part is well, and you do both, you're in a real a real trouble spot. So, um, so I think that's all it is. And I think it's just you know as you write software, 
and it, it's just a general interest. So whether we talk about Kubernetes and things like that, it's always interesting to start at the very, very beginning. Like, what is this stuff even doing? And then work your way up the stack. If nothing else, just to intellectually understand it, right? Versus like, uh, of course, no person can do all of it, but just understanding what's happening behind the scenes is always good. I, I, I <laughs> no can no see person that. can do all of it, but one person can be blamed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so I can see how that could be. But, so it's not a, yeah. but it is like we always talk about, like, you know, one of the things I think, we, like especially as you when you don't I'll just say like when you don't design chips day to day or write code day to day is and whatever I'll just say when you get more into management or get away from doing stuff day to day is like it's easy to say like right tool right job you know just like all the technology is the same all the scripts are the same and stuff like that but like when you when you get back into it you kind of understand like why people are so obsessed with like their their set of tools because like no one wants to have to go learn new sets of tools right so the same thing with like chips and all this stuff it's like really that's what computing is it's like how can you package something simple enough and a set of tools that people like to use well they don't have to keep relearning the same stuff over and over again right and that's sort of in some ways like what i think technology is always both trying to do and struggling to do right you know it's like Mm. okay kubernetes is here now we all got to like learn it again right and Mm -hmm. it's like it's frustrating right but it's also there is some stuff that we want to do going forward. And I think the same stuff is happening now with like Intel, because when it switches over, like it's clear Apple is going to move to an ARM based laptop, like in two years, it's just like, well, everybody's going to have to boot up X code and like, you know, rebuild everything and the new, and that won't work perfectly. And it'll be kind of annoying. Right. But that's sort of just the evolution of computing for all of us. Yeah, that makes sense. I I, I guess, I guess uh, it's further proof that my cut line of interest in it is rather high. Uh, Probably, probably because I, I didn't, I didn't do a similar. I was like writing essays about like Nietzsche or some bullshit like that instead. Well, uh, I do. I was gonna say I do think there is like in college there are like there is I don't know there's probably like a personality type. There are like I, I'll say you know put you in this category. People that come to software, especially from like music or philosophy degrees, that just like they just want they really the, the hard line there is like they don't go below the software mm, right, and then no. there's like. The double E guys, there's certain double E guys that won't write any software that's not assembler, right? And then there's this weird middle layer. I guess I kind of fell into it. I think Matt Ray, you fell into it too. Where you're kind of like, you're like looking at both sides, but everyone thinks you're weird. Like, why would you do that software stuff? Or like, what, you know, why are you down there? Why are you talking about the chips? So I don't know. I, I think it's probably like a, a Myers-Briggs uh, a personality test like which one of these things do you, do you care about and where do you not care? And it probably tells you something about your life. Yeah, I, I've got uh, full stack industry interest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Versus just the, the the chip trolls. Very good. I guess you can't really use the word troll nowadays. Just sort of like the chip hobbits. You just want to want to go home and uh, tuck into some chips. Well, uh, as mentioned earlier, we've got a great Slack channel you can go to. Uh, you should join us in there. We, we've mysteriously talked very little about Intel this week, but usually we discuss things that have been going on and uh, topics, stuff like that in there. But if you just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash slack, you can join us there. And if you can't come to our event next week, you can always email us at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com where you have to send your mailing address because uh, we don't yet have an integration with 3D printers. Uh, and and we'll we'll mail you some uh, some stickers. It's a great way to get Brandon to go to the post office, which is uh, his home away from home. Sort of like a uh, a country villa, except just in the city and at the post office. 
instead. <laughs> Which means not at all. Like a uh, that's right. And we still have some t-shirts too. If you'd like to get some of those, just go to the website to find them. So, so with that, Matt Ray, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, oh, so, so this last week, um, I moved, um, I moved to a, to a new rental here in, in Sydney. Uh, yesterday was my, my two year anniversary. So, uh, uh, my lease was up because my uh, my landlord was moving back into their house. Um, so my my pick, uh, I've got two. Uh, one is uh, Australia's NBN, their national broadband network. Uh, it's it gets a lot of flack for uh, for being uh, a boondoggle, but uh, it, you know the rollout got tied into a lot of politics and whatever, and not everybody can have it, but it's fast for Australia. <laughs> So um, I'm up. I'm on. Uh, I'm on NBN now. So hopefully uh, our, our recordings go a little better because uh, it's it's <clears throat> four four times faster than my old connection. So that's nice. Uh, so that's my first pick, uh, NBN. And uh, uh, I'd pick my my provider on NBN, except I found out they're doing DNS hijacking. So I'm not very happy about that. Mm. Um, mm, yeah. What, so, what is yes, what is yeah. that? What does that mean? You can't use uh, Cloudflare, Google DNS, or something. Mm. Kinda. Uh, I was using a, a DNS service um, that uh, allows me to present myself as coming from America to uh. other, uh, to, you know, to get the right uh, the U.S. based endpoints for your uh, your Hulu's and and, and the like. Uh-huh. Um, so I can use my my American accounts in Australia, and they just block that site completely. <laughs> That's too bad. <laughs> I'm like, well, screw you guys. Yeah, no, there, there, there's a there's a solution. So. Um, so uh, yeah, and then my other pick is is uh, the wire cutter. You know, um, just, new just house got to buy Very a bunch good. of crud. Just in general, just in general, yeah. New house, got to buy new stuff. Getting a new laptop next week, got to get new accessories. Uh, what do you pick? Just go to wire cutter. Yeah, that that is that's that's uh, the perfect source for that. It, you know what what is the uh, you know just to throw this out that we don't need to discuss it, but like what what is what is the deal with like the politics of broadband? It seems to be like a very oh. – it's often a very – and by politics, I mean literal, like the government and it's lobbying for it. So it seems like a very fraught sort of thing. I mean I guess I guess it is sort of like it has high barriers to entry. You're like doing right-of-way stuff and potentially companies are setting themselves up for like 20 to 30 years of profit reaping. And then and then meanwhile, there's like mm-hmm. all, all the government people who like want to give – good broadband i don't know i feel i feel like it's this probably very confused discussion uh that goes on i i I think we save it for another episode because there's a lot going on there and and it's i feel like we need someone from like george mason university to explain to us how like the (laughs) the amount of regulations are actually causing slow internet which makes editing these podcasts annoying at some point it's it's all all due to Mm. it's all good due to people trying to do good that makes my internet connection slower i I don't know be careful be yeah, be careful when you introduce and invite the uh, the George Mason libertarians. They might have to talk about how this is a, a failure of market economics. Oh, market economics! <laughs> I'm going to go comb through my econ talk podcast episodes and see if, uh, if if someone's talked about that. That would be great. Well, how about how about yourself, uh, Brandon? What do you recommend this week? Well, uh, speaking of free market economics, I'm uh, doing my best to participate in them. So I wrote a uh, an iPhone app that I finally released to the App Store that does one 
very simple but important thing. It lets you uh, makes it easy to dial conference calls because that's what I I live on day in day out is conference calls. So if you've been thinking to yourself, I have a Zoom, I have go to meeting, I have free conference calls, I end up on lots of different things, and I just want one place to put all of my conference calls, enter the codes, and just have one touch dialing. Well, your hopes have uh, and dreams have been realized. So you can go to quick. Con call, so just quickconcall.com, and we'll put it in the show notes, and you can download uh, my iPhone app. It's ninety nine cents. So if you uh, if that's too much money for you, and you hit me in Slack, I think I've got a few discount codes left. But uh, finally, you can have all your conference calls in one location, and hopefully, you'll never miss an important conference call again. So check out Quick Con Call. Wow, that I'll have to check that out. That sounds like fun. You know what I always get frustrated with is people try to encode in the calendar entry, what the number is. And like, I don't think the pound key ever works. So you always still have to like hit the pound key or something. Yes. So this is what I have. I have also done that. So in, in the app, you just put in the code, just the numbers. And I have uh, hopefully figured that out. So it all just happens for you now. You don't have to rely on someone putting it in the calendar entry, which is like my number one frustration, right? It's mm. just that never Never actually, well, it works maybe a, a, a fraction of the time. So I've tried to solve that problem. We'll see. So check it out, Cote. You can review it next week. Now, did you use serverless for this, or are you still using <laughs> Kubernetes? That's right. <laughs> uh, luckily, I did not have to uh, deploy Kubernetes to my yeah. iPhone to get this to work. No. But, uh, uh. You know, t- time will yeah. tell. Time will are, tell. Are, are you... Are you, are you going to write a Kotlin version for the Android folks? You know, it's funny. That was uh, I, I, uh, that was one of the first requests. People were like, is there an Android version? And I was like, guys, well, you know, I, as I told them, I was like, well, you know, I've talked to the product team. You know, uh, it's on the roadmap. I'm working with engineering on the, uh, the schedule. So we understand how important it is, but I, I have no dates for the, the uh, Android version. Wow. The release is slipping. Well, well the, 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 the path from here is clear. After a few years, you're going to become the senior corporate vice president of Microsoft Office after they, they acquire your collaboration <laughs> thing. So it's all, it's all going to happen for you, Brandon. No longer will you have to treat the post office as your country villa. You will have a villa. That's uh, somewhere else. To it. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, my my recommendation this week is it's it's a bit of an older article, as in two or three weeks old. But I was I was looking through, and there's there's this article in the Rolling Stone called uh, "The Trouble with Johnny Depp," and uh, it's you know just uh, a delightful article about, as it says, the trouble with Johnny Depp, and it doesn't mean like the uh, the uh, sort of societal uh, philosophic trouble. It means like the bankruptcy. <laughs> I guess he's not bankrupt, but the money problems and all these lawsuits and stuff like that. And and one, it's a fun view into like, you know, uh, being a star of the Pirates of the Caribbean and like having just all this money. Like there's one there's one part where uh, people are, you know, his 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 money managers or business managers uh, wrote something about like, oh, you know, one of the problems is, is he spends like ten to twenty thousand dollars a month in wine. And as we have reminded him. If you drink the wine immediately, it does not count as an investment. Uh, and, and, and then his reply, you know, very artfully done is like, oh, it was a lot more than that that I spent each month. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, it's, it's a good view into sort of just things like that, which is entertaining. And then also just like the, the sordid t- tale of what's been happening with uh, Johnny Depp over the years. And there's some pictures in there of him like playing guitar or something. And, you know, I tried to look up 
They have an address for some house you rented in London. I'm pretty sure it's not that house. They must have changed it because you go to Street View and it doesn't look like a uh, fortified compound in London. So don't get excited about that part. But I'll put a link to it and go check that out. Well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, buy t-shirts, get into the Slack channel, find stickers, find those discount codes for things that we mentioned, including our upcoming Spring One Platform Conference, September 24th and 27th. If you're interested in that kind of thing, you just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 140. And you can just, you know, take that 140 out of the URL and uh, see everything else. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.